Hey, when, uh, when, when you saw the, the title of this uh, message today, Stuck at Home for Christmas, did you notice the picture that was behind the words? Here it is. Check it out. It is a home that is buried in snow. And man, I mean, have you ever been stuck at home for Christmas before? Well, I've never been stuck at home for Christmas per se, but when Kelly and I and our kids lived up in the Northwest for about a dozen years, there were a handful of times that we got snowed in. I mean, snow days are fun. And that happened a handful of times when we got snow days. The kids are excited. It's so awesome. And one year in particular, we, we like got buried. I mean, we were, we were really buried. And I think we were probably stuck at home for about four days. And it was so amazing. We had fun together. Because, you know, all the normal just chaos of life grinds to a halt. Man, we had time with family, extra moments like around the table playing games, making meals together, and it was actually a lot of fun. But I'll tell you, if that had gone on another four days, right, if this had gone on like it's over a week of being stuck at home, we probably would have been driving each other nuts. I mean, it just would have been a little crazy if it had gone on too much longer. Listen, there's, there's a difference between having a fun snow day and then being stuck at home because you're in a blizzard. Or how about this? How about an ice age? And I've heard people talk about this, that what we have been experiencing in 2020 has felt a lot more like an ice age than a fun snow day or even a blizzard. We have been stuck at home, and now this year, we're stuck at home for Christmas. Listen, all of us have this longing in our hearts for a place called home. But I'll tell you, none of us want to be stuck there. And so what we're doing last week and, and today is we're, we're talking about two different stories from the chapter of Mark chapter 5. And, and, and you go, Mark chapter 5, I don't think those are Christmas stories, not traditional ones anyway. Maybe this will become part of our tradition, but you're right. The stories that we told last week and then the one we're going to be looking at today don't seem to have anything to do with Christmas at first, but they have everything to do with being stuck at home. And my prayer is, is that as we dive into this story, even as we did last week, that you are going to hear the voice of God speaking to you about places where you may be stuck in your life. And my hope and prayer has been that I believe that some people today and this Christmas season are going to get set free from stuckness oh, like never before. You ready to dive in? We are going to be in Mark chapter 5, and we're picking up in verse 21. And the story we told last week has just concluded, and it says this in Mark 5, 21. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue 
whose name was Jairus, arrived. He's going to be playing a major part in this story. So pay attention to the synagogue leader, Jairus. When he saw Jesus, it says he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Here's what Jairus was saying. He's saying, my daughter is dying. In other words, she is stuck at home. That's why I'm here pleading for her life because my daughter is stuck at home. She could not be here. She's so sick, I couldn't even bring her to you. Would you please come with me because she is sick at home? Listen, sickness makes us stuck. Think about it. I mean, when we're sick, we're stuck, and I'm not just talking about in our bodies. Now, in our bodies, it's true as well. I mean, if I, when I'm really sick, and we have people right now in our congregation, uh, I don't want to give any personal shout-outs, but you know who you are, and right now you're stuck at home because, man, you're under the weather, and may God's grace be upon you. But listen, sickness makes us stuck in all areas of life. You know, I've met people, and I've, I've experienced some of this in my own life where my marriage has been sick. Like it just felt like we were stuck. Like how will we get out of this? How will we move beyond this? Some people's finances get sick and they're just stuck. They don't know what to do. They're just buried and buried and and can't seem to move beyond. Other people's hearts grow sick. And they just feel stuck in life and their emotions are breaking, right? We've, we've all been at places like that. Some people's relationships at home and beyond home are sick and they're stuck there. Listen, and then he said, my daughter is dying. Would you agree with me that death is the ultimate stuckness? Right? It's like, man, when, when, when we die, we aren't going anywhere, right, on earth. So it, death is the ultimate stuckness. In the very next verse, though, after Jairus pleads for his daughter's life, saying, Jesus, my daughter is stuck at home. She's dying. Would you come? Would you speak life into her? Guess what? Jesus, in the very next verse, it says that he went with him. And we are reminded that Jesus always hears the cry of our heart. Jesus is listening for our cry. When we're stuck or those right around us are stuck and we cry out to him, he always hears the cry of our heart. And, but then here's what happens next. It says, he, you know, Jairus pleads for his daughter Jesus responds and says, yep, let's go. Let's giddy up. But what happens next in the story is there's this huge interruption. Right when they begin heading off to this dying young lady, it says that a woman who had been stuck for 12 years intercepts Jesus, reaches out, and touches him, and they have this amazing encounter. 
and she is healed. After over a decade of stuckness, this woman is miraculously set free. But in the story that we're looking at today, something happens during that interruption that for Jairus was the worst thing that could have happened in that moment. Because during that interruption, he gets word that his daughter has actually died. But when the news comes, it's not just the news, it's the news and some very unwelcomed commentary. I want you to listen, and it's in verse Mark 5.35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, they came and said this, your daughter is dead, they said. That was the news. But then listen to the commentary they added. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter's dead. Why bother Jesus anymore? Here's what they were saying. They were saying, she's dead. She's permanently stuck, Jairus. So you might as well just give up now. Just give it up. Give up hope. Give up your pursuit of Jesus She's dead, give up. Why bother the teacher anymore? Listen, have you ever felt that way about a situation that you've been in? Maybe you're even feeling that way today. That not only have I been stuck in this area, but I feel that this area has died. Whether it's your marriage, your finances, a relationship, something. Maybe it's even a dream that you had in your heart, and you said, yeah, it's not just stuck. This is dead. I feel that it's beyond hope. I even feel like they were intimating by saying, why even bother God with this, that it's so stuck, it's so dead, that like, I don't even think that God could fix this. But then something remarkable happens. Because Jesus is overhearing what's been going on here. He's overhearing these people come and talk to Jairus and say, you know, hey, your daughter's dead. Don't even bother Jesus anymore. Listen to what Jesus responds in verse 36. He says this. He says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him. He speaks this just to Jairus. He says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, and I love the way it phrases this here because it says that Jesus spoke this to him, to Jairus. So if you can kind of picture the setting, you know, Jesus and Jairus are on their way, but this group comes from Jairus' home saying, hey, she's dead, just give up now. Why, why even bother Jesus anymore? And it's like Jesus says is, is overhearing this happen. But then it says he spoke these words to him. It didn't say he spoke these to that crowd that was there. And you get the picture of Jesus putting his arm around Jairus and leaning in and whispering these words just to him. Jairus, don't be afraid. Jairus, just believe. 
Listen, I think those words that Jesus spoke get right to the heart of the matter. Jairus, do you believe that I can resurrect something that for all intents and purposes looks dead? I mean, just beyond stuck. I mean, it looks completely stuck, permanently stuck. It looks dead. Jairus, do you believe that I can raise that back to life? Can I bring unstuckness, Jairus, to things that look completely stuck? Do not fear. Just believe what I can do for you. Listen, the enemy of our souls always works through fear. I mean, it's, it's what he does, right? I mean, he whispers, he shouts, he writes it on billboards. Death, death, this area of your life This situation that you've been struggling with, it is permanently stuck. Just give up now. Because listen, what happens? What happens in Jairus' story if he gives up? If he just hangs his head and says, well, I guess it's done. Jesus, go on your way. You don't need to come to my house. What happens? Death wins. The enemy wins. Jairus loses, his daughter loses, the whole family loses if Jairus were to give up here. And that's the goal of the enemy, to speak fear into our hearts, into our souls. Death, just give up now. This is permanent. And that fear is meant to cause us to forget who is by my side. Who is by my side? And so like when Jesus says, don't fear, just believe, it's like, it's not not just believe in like fairy godmother or, you know, the tooth fairy or, sorry, Santa Claus. Um, No, he's saying just believe because he, the God of the universe, right, the one who has life and death in his hands is right there by his side, And so we sing, Jairus, just believe. You know, here's what I believe, that fear evaporates when we remember who is by our side. And I was trying to think of of an analogy, you know, like that fear evaporating when we remember who's by our side. And it's kind of like, you know, that kid that's being bullied at school, you know, but when, you know, when you, you know, that when the bullies show up, There's the biggest, toughest, strongest kid at school, and he's standing right there, right, behind the one who's being bullied. Well, that that kid who's being bullied goes, I I don't have to fear anymore because I know who's by my side. But that doesn't even, like, come close to how powerful God is. He's not like that kid who's strong and, you know, tough and, you know, right, right there by her side. You know, the image that I had was something even on a larger scale. I was picturing, you know, kind of like being out on a little rowboat on the ocean, you know, just the big ocean, and I'm just in my little rowboat all by myself, you know, and the enemy pops up, and there's like a battleship, and it's like this battleship against, against little me and my little rowboat. But then I turn around, and there's like an aircraft carrier with jets zooming off, and I'm like turning around and go, yes, look who is by my 
side. I don't have to fear when I remember. And you know what? I need to trust the Lord. I need to not fear. I need to remember to just believe. God is by my side. So as the story goes on, Jesus shows up with Jairus at this young lady's house where she has died. And it says that people were inside the house weeping and wailing when Jesus shows up. Well, that's kind of a natural reaction. But listen, actually, what was going on here in um, Mark 5, 39 and verse 40. It says this, Jesus went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. What? Jesus, what are you talking about? And I think we're on the wrong slide there. If you want to go back to the slide uh, in verses 39 and 40, you'll be able to follow along here. But he says, while the commotion and weeping, the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And it says the crowd laughed at him. But he made them leave. I love this picture. You know what? It's like first they encountered these voices of fear, right? Your daughter is dead. Don't even bother. Just give up now. And now there's mocking voices who are literally laughing at Jesus, right? The God of the universe, the Savior of the world, they're laughing at him because, ah, she's dead. It's like they're saying, who do you think you are for believing that anything could happen of life in this situation. They're mocking. But I love, I love what happens. Jesus kicks them out. You know, I think there are voices that we need to kick out of our homes. There are voices that we do not need in our lives. When we're at places where we're facing stuckness, and we're like kicking out fear, we need to also remember to kick out any of those mocking voices that's saying, you crazy. You know, what are you doing keeping on persisting when everything looks dead? And that's just what Jesus did. What voices are we listening to? I think we need to listen to the voice of Jesus. So what happens then? It says that Jesus takes the mom and dad and his three closest disciples and they go right into this young lady. And in verse 40, it says, he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who is 12 years old, immediately, do you catch that? Immediately, stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Not awesome, just this overwhelming sense of freedom. Our daughter, who is declared permanently stuck, dead, is now alive at the command of Jesus. And they rejoiced. Listen, I'll tell you, when the world says there's no hope, you're stuck, don't believe it. Don't believe it. We know that the God who is on our side is in the business 
of unsticking. He's the one who can get us unstuck. Well, listen, I'm sharing this message today with a beautiful couple from our church. Some of you know them, Beto and Amelia Paz. Uh, listen, you might know them and say, wow, they're just such a beautiful couple, and man, they're in ministry leadership, and Amelia serves on our church council, and, and you might look at their lives and just think they could never have been stuck. I mean, this is like such a beautiful couple who seems unstuck, right? But I want you to hear their story because I think it's going to illustrate some of the very same things that we've been hearing in the story of Jairus and his family and his daughter. Take a look and a listen at Beto and Amelia's story. Hi, church. Uh, my name is Beto and Amelia Paz. And uh, we're very familiar to this area. Actually, me and Amelia actually went to Robert Bruce across the street. So this campus was very familiar to me when I was young. And um, I met Amelia through, uh, through uh, one of my good friends was her cousin. And um, we actually got together really fast. And um, I'll let her tell you guys a story about how we got together. Um, we met in 2003, I believe. I came into our marriage with a little baby. We only dated about four months and we, d we got engaged. Um, we got married January 7, 2005. And we went head first. We had our daughter right away. And so we had two little babies and we were both, uh, I believe, 22 and 24. Then we, things were good. We were in the honeymoon stage mm -hmm. and things were fine. And then I came to church here and I came home and I told Betho, would it be okay if I was a Christian? I grew up Christian <laughs> and I really want to go to this church and I want to take the kids. And he said, yeah, take my kids. You, they can go there, but, and you can go too, but I, I don't want to go. And so at first I was okay with that. And then you come to church and you have two kids and you're by yourself. And I'm like, okay, no, I want my husband to come. And I did get invited to a singles group. And we always laugh about that now. Um, and I had to tell them, oh, no, I'm not single. I, I'm married. I just come by myself all the time. So I invited Beto and he was like, no, I'm not. I don't know. Absolutely not. I'm not going there. Um, he was even to the point where he said, he didn't even want me to listen to Christian music in the car. I wasn't allowed to listen to Caleb because <laughs> he didn't like it. Um, so yeah, we, I kept coming here and I would say that I came for about six years. And he would come with me here and there if, we, if there was Easter, Christmas, something where I was like, hey, please come, it's an event. And he would come and he, he respected it. He always would say, I'll go to the mass, but I don't want to go to the part where they sing. So we always showed up here at 10 o'clock instead of the 9.30 when it started, and we were always late to put the kids in the classroom. Um, but yeah, we really started to struggle in 2011. We were, we were definitely, my house became the party house. Um, if a woman was looking for her husband, they knew to call me, and I could go in the garage and see who was in there. Um, and what went from week, you know, weekend party was uh, Monday through Sunday. And so that became really tough on our marriage. We, I, we had our third daughter and I was alone. 
I felt like I was raising my children alone. And when um, the Lord would tell me, you know, pray for your husband, love your husband, other women would tell me, you know, the Bible says that you're supposed to love their husband and they're saved because of you and your prayers. I, I couldn't get there. I was upset, I hurt, angry. Um, yeah, and on, on my side, um, I always thought everything was fine. I told, as long as I gave her my paycheck and all the bills were paid, I thought that's what a husband had. A, that's what was my job. And, and actually, no, it wasn't okay. I, I started to see that behind closed doors, she starting a, writing a lot in her journals and I was reading them because she would leave them right there. <laughs> and I started to know that she was broken and, and, uh, and I was a big part of it. Um, one of the things I remember that really hurt her was we actually went to a, a Raider game and I ended up getting arrested for fighting at a game. And just coming home that day, just being so broken from being in the in Alameda County, it was just a starting point telling me that I needed a change. And um, my wife was crying to me, telling me that we need to start living different. And it took a lot of time for me to change. Um, it, it was the Lord. It really was because he didn't like it. He he did not like it, and it, it was an argument in our house. Um, you know, I couldn't leave my Bible out. I couldn't listen to praise and worship in the house. And if I wanted to read the kids' Bible stories, he was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Don't. But he did like that I took the kids to church, and mm -hmm. he liked that I came. But finally I said, look, I, I feel alone. I, I do everything by myself. I take the kids by myself. Um, our life revolved around what was on TV, whether it was the UFC fights, uh, Raider games, Laker games. I, I just went places by myself with three kids. And it wears on you. It, and I told him, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know how I don't know how to get here I don't know how we got here but I don't want to do this anymore mm -hmm. and at first he was happy right mm -hmm. you were like hey this is good yeah. I could just go take the kids and I'll watch the game and I'll be ready by the time you get here but we had a lot of um yeah and we got into a big fight you know she said she didn't want it she didn't want to be with me no more so it was hard having to deal with the thought of me spending my life by myself. I started thinking like dividing my paycheck. Okay, how am I gonna pay for rent, giving up child support? And I started doing the math and it was actually a long road that I, I started making the decision like, man, I I better fight for my family. I, I the, the girls count on me. My son Isaiah, everybody was just they were hurting because of me. So I, I finally found a, a Bible study here at church that I started attending and um, very instrumental to my life. Uh, finally, I told my wife I wanted to fight for my marriage. And at that point, she was so broken. She didn't want to be with me no more. It was like I was fighting two battles at one time. I was trying to f decide if I even wanted to stay in my marriage. Now I have to convince her to want to take me back. So that was a very hard point in our life. Yeah. And we did right away, um, we both sought counseling. 
when at that time that we got counseling and we came here to the church, I didn't totally believe that it was salvageable. I believed that it was the right thing to do, but I didn't realize that, yes, yes, there was addiction and there was alcohol in our home, but I was dealing with my own things. Even outside of doing drugs and alcohol, I still had my own hurts and hangups. And it was going through counseling and prayer and see, and having people mentor me that said, hey, let's get after this thing. God wants you, he loves you, he wants to heal you. This, your Christianity does not have to be like this. And I, I remember that being a turning point for us. Mm-hmm. We both got into um, accountability. We got into Celebrate Recovery. That was instrumental in our lives. I'll never forget when Betha walked up there and he said he wasn't going to drink anymore. And it was, uh, it was unbelievable. I, I look back at that moment and it, it's, I could look at that day like as if it was yesterday. It's just spot in my mind. Because yeah. that, the person I met didn't think anything was wrong with alcohol. And <laughs> yeah. When it's yeah. It, when it's abused, it's a different story. You're, you're definitely living a very anxiety-filled life because you didn't. I didn't know what was next. Yeah. Yeah, but God definitely showed up, and yeah, yeah. I got to start bringing my husband every Sunday to church, and it was amazing. It felt great to be with him, and and when people meet us, and they're like. Oh, a million. They don't know. They don't know all the things that we've been yeah. through. And so I always tell people, hold on. You, yeah. God will do it for you. He'll do it for you. And he'll. Yeah. And uh, one thing I could say is that our marriage looked like it was dead. And um, Jesus helped us turn it back around. And the same thing that he did for us, he could do for you. Amen. Yes. Isn't that good? Man, would, would you thank the pauses for sharing their story? Man, thank you so much for doing that. But how about thanking Jesus even more for resurrecting that which was dead? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Even things that look permanently stuck, even dead, and God can bring back to life and unstick. Praise the Lord. Hey, I want to give you just a couple of takeaways because I think that the story of Jairus and his daughter, really there's some parallels there between even what you just heard Beto and Amelia Paz share. Here's a couple of takeaways. First, in the story about Jairus' daughter, did you notice that what Jesus did is when he commanded life to come back into her, it says that immediately she rose. Immediately. And we're like, yes, man, Jesus works immediately. And if you would have been one of those people, maybe that had been like, you know, looking in the window and it's like, okay, she dies, Jesus shows up, boom, she's immediately back to life. And you didn't know the backstory you might assume that it was just like, bam, it all happened in a moment. But you know what? Immediately's don't always happen immediately. Because what you hear in this story is that Jairus' father, or the girl's father, Jairus, man, what did he do? He had to go find 
Jesus. Then he fell on his face and pleaded for his daughter's life. And then there was this long delay. There was this period of time when Jesus was intercepted by this other woman. And then there was voices of fear that came. She's dead. Just give up now. And then when they get home, there's even mocking voices that are laughing at him, laughing at Jesus. Who do you think you are saying that there's the possibility for life? Listen, this did not happen immediately. Although at the command of Jesus, boom, then there was the immediately. And when you listen to the pauses story, I think it's very similar. Did you hear that Amelia contended for six years? I mean, of stuckness. When they were at the point more than one time when it's like, let's just give up now. It's like, why keep going in this marriage? But guess what? You know, it's like, if you didn't know the backstory, you would think that, hey, they're great. And Jesus just showed up immediately into their situation and fixed it. But here's what I'm convinced of, and we hear in these stories, that oftentimes our immediately's come after a long time of persisting patiently. Right? Our immediately's often follow persisting patiently. And that's what we're called to do. If you're in a place of stuckness, don't give up. Persist. Have patience. Do not fear. Only believe that the God who's by your side can do the miraculous. Do not give up. Then there's a second thing. This pivotal moment in the story when, you know, the words are spoken to Jairus, you know, your daughter's dead and, uh, you know, Just give up now. Don't even bother God about this anymore. Just when fear would have captured Jairus' soul is when Jesus leans in with those words that we talked about. Do not fear, just believe. Listen, and we need to remember those things too. And I believe just the way that Amelia was doing in those years that she was contending for her marriage and continuing to press on. Don't be afraid. We have to filter out those fearful statements of the enemy. We need to put filters on our hearts and on our ears. We need to kick out those voices that would want to come and speak anything other than the life and, uh, and hope of Jesus. And just believe We need to remember who is by our side. The enemy's goal is always to get us to sign the declaration of death prematurely. Listen, church, it ain't over until God says it's over. So do not give up. Persist patiently and wait for your immediately. Listen, what does any of this have to do with Christmas? Well, this Christmas, when we're stuck in so many ways as as a people, as a humanity, right, all over the world where we just feel stuck in so many different ways, I believe that these words have something profound to speak to us. You know, it was many hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth on that first Christmas that the promised Messiah was foretold by the prophets, that there would be a Messiah that would come one day. And so there was this long period, though, of delay. Many hundreds of years came 
where there had to be patient persistence, not giving in to fear, not giving in to any of those voices who would say, why wait for a Messiah to come? Just kind of give on with, get on with your lives. Just give up on God now. It would have been very easy for the, Israel, uh, for the nation of Israel to have done that. But like we said, we need to patiently persist. And that's the story of the first Christmas. I, I also believe that Jesus showed up right at a time when the world, and Israel in particular, was at such a place of stuckness. I mean, you may remember that Israel was a conquered nation. They were a defeated people. I mean, Rome had invaded, and there was this Roman soldiers on their streets. It's hard for us, you know, uh, here in the United States to even imagine what that would feel like, having foreign soldiers on our ground, on our land, right, telling us what we had to do and who we had to pay taxes to. And that was their situation. They were stuck. Can I tell you, they were also spiritually stuck because what had begun is this beautiful thing of being God's covenant people had devolved over the centuries to now that they were really worshiping rules, they were worshiping the commands of God, but they had lost all relationship with God himself. They were a people who were so distant from God, stuck spiritually, politically, every way. And it was into that, right in that time of stuckness that that first Christmas came. Jesus came into humanity at a point of our greatest stuckness. And what did he come to do to bring life and freedom from every place where we may be stuck? And then finally, I love those words that we were reflecting on, do not fear, just believe. Because those are the words that were echoed on a, on a hillside in the middle of the night to a bunch of shepherds who are guarding their sheep. And all of a sudden, the heavens light up and there's this angelic presence that is there singing and declaring. And I love what that first angel declares. It is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel reassured them, don't be afraid. It's the very words that Jesus leaned in and whispered right into the soul of Jairus when he heard that his daughter was permanently stuck, that she had died. The angel reassured humanity. The angel is here to reassure you right here this Christmas, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, this long-awaited one, who you have persisted patiently in hope that he would arrive. Today is the day. He has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Here's what that angel declared on that night, and here's the words for you and me this Christmas. Jesus has come. Do not be afraid. Just believe. Believe this. Believe that the very same Savior that came to the world about 2,000 years ago 
is still alive today. He is by your side. So you do not need to fear. You can put your full trust in him this Christmas time. No matter the area of stuckness in your own life and situation, maybe it is your marriage, maybe it is your finances, maybe it is a dream that has died. My hope, and I trust that yours will be too, that the words of the angel and the words of Jesus would be just alive, just as alive in our hearts today as they were 2,000 years ago. And we're reminded of this at Christmas. Do not fear. Just believe. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you now, Lord, thinking of many places of stuckness in our own lives, maybe in the lives of our families, the lives of people we love. Lord, we know of so many situations where people just feel completely stuck. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're watching on your phone, lying in bed, sick. Maybe some, even with the coronavirus, and you just feel like, man, I just feel so stuck. Man, is this gonna, is gonna end in life or is it gonna end in death? Can I just speak these words over you? Do not be afraid. Just believe. Just the way Jairus' father just cried out to Jesus, wherever you are right now, in whatever your area of stuckness may be, would you just cry out to Jesus? Jesus, the living one, the one who holds the power of life and death. God, would you speak life into my situation? Would you speak freedom wherever I have been stuck? Jesus, we put our trust in you. We say yes to you. And we say no to all of those other voices that would want to bring fear or even a mocking spirit telling us that we're crazy for continuing to persist and put our trust in you when everything looks lost. Friends, everything is not lost. And it's because of you, Jesus. In your name, we say, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, if you're online And if you right now are calling out to Jesus for any area of stuckness in your life, hey, we have some online pastors that are right there with you right now and you can say, I am saying yes to Jesus. They're gonna reach out to you. They're gonna pray for you right where you are. If you're here on our campus, if you're out in the courtyard, we have some pastors out there and they're just gonna stand up right at the end of service and kind of be over by the glass doors. Listen, even though we're practicing socially distancing, social distancing, you can make your way over to them because they would love to agree with you in prayer because you are not stuck. God has come to set you free. You are loved. Have a beautiful Christmas.